University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. I invite you to join us in a time of prayer. And during this time of prayer, there will be a couple moments of pause where we can all silently offer our prayers together. Let us pray. Gracious God, in whom we live and move and have our very being, today we gather to worship, to offer love, to receive love, to learn better how to show love to those around us as we open ourselves to you. There is much to be grateful for. Life, breath, the ability to gather virtually, many other things. And so now, in this brief pause, we each offer our gratitude to you in our own ways. While there is much to be grateful for, there is also much right now to grieve. Loss of life and jobs and uncertainty for the things that each of us are grieving or that our loved ones are grieving, we now pause to express that grief to you. Of course, there is still always hope. Hope that situations will improve, that better health will come, that healing will happen. And so now we offer our hopes to you silently together. God, this morning, may we receive your presence in us. May we open ourselves today and this week to the work that you are doing in each of us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't think that I would be overstating it to say that Baton Rouge has some of the best food anywhere in the world. And one of my favorite things about being in Baton Rouge this last year has been the food. And one of my favorite restaurants has been Superior Grill. And I'm sure most of you have been there and enjoyed their food just as much as I have. And I moved about a month ago to a house just about a half a mile from Superior Grill. And I'd be lying if that wasn't at least a small part of my decision to move there. But aside from the food, I also very much enjoy some of the road signs that they put out on Highland Road. And I drove by this one the other day. Control-Alt-Delete 2020. A control-alt-delete, if you aren't computer savvy, is 
uh, used to be actually the key command to restart your computer. Perhaps if there was a technical issue. And maybe many of us feel this way about this year. Like we would have like nothing more than to have a reset on 2020, to start over, to go back in time, to forget that all of this had happened. There's much that has been lost during this time. Lives, jobs, health, businesses, sense of security and comfort, normalcy. There's much to grieve, and a reset sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? As attention in our area and around the country is slowly shifting toward plans of reopening, we all have hopes of returning to some sense of normal, to gathering for worship again in person, meeting in person for Bible study, and being able to go about our lives in ways that are routine, without all the confusion and the mess and the chaos that has been thrown our way. Now, as a brief shameless plug here at UBC, we're rolling out a fairly comprehensive set of uh, plans that are flexible for the next weeks and months to come. And you can find those at ubc-br.org and read them and consider how you might safely and comfortably re-engage community in person as you feel led and when the time is right. But timing is everything. And in this particular time now, when we look ahead to returning to normal, we may want to caution ourselves against the blind hope that things will be exactly the same. Very likely, there are many things that will not be the same. And what we considered normal may not even be possible anymore. We can't go back in time. Again, I think it's important that we grieve those losses together. They're important, whatever they are, for each of us. But at the same time, I wonder if this situation, this new normal, might offer us a chance to open ourselves to what God might do in us that's new. Perhaps it's just a simple matter of timing. This past Thursday, if you weren't aware, was Ascension Day in the life of the church, when we remember Jesus' ascension after his resurrection. And today marks the last Sunday in the season of Easter. Next week will be the first of Pentecost, when Acts tells us that the Holy Spirit came to this group of disciples in a powerful and transforming way. These stories that we read tell the birth of the Christian church in many ways, and it tells us a bit about our roots and our foundation as a faith community. So our passage today comes from the first chapter of Acts, starting in verse 6, where we see the disciples conversing with the resurrected Jesus before his ascension. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel. And he replied, It's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you 
will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time? Is it finally going to happen? What we've waited for for so long as a people? Is it finally now? The disciples, of course, were asking a different question than we might be asking right now in our context, but I think the sentiment is similar. Is this the time when things finally improve for the better? Is this the time when suffering ceases? When things are made right and we can go back to the way things used to be? For them, it was both a return and a restoration, perhaps to the idealistic picture of Israel under King David. But it was also a fulfillment of something new that they had looked forward to, a time when all wrongs would be made right, when everyone had what they needed and more, when people would finally come, all people, to worship God and to find their truest identity and purpose. In short, the kingdom of God that Jesus talks so much about in the Gospels is right in front of them. And they can't wait to see it. Is this the time, Jesus? It's so interesting to me that Jesus rarely seems to give a straightforward answer to questions like this. Instead, he says to them, it's not for you to know. It's a mystery. But what he tells them next is incredibly significant. He seems to say that perhaps things aren't going to play out exactly the way they had thought, or maybe more importantly, with the timing that they had hoped for. See, they wanted Jesus to fix it. They wanted a flash of light, a thunderous, booming voice from God, some kind of miraculous and immediate fix for the world around them. And Jesus, in effect, says, it's not going to happen that way. But you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. Rather than a quick fix, Jesus invites these disciples of his to be a part of creating something new, to be a part of sharing good news with those around them. And it may even be that Jesus is saying, this is how the kingdom of God will come, that it will come through you. And then he vanishes from their sight, leaving them to figure out how to move forward together. In verse 10, we then read, While he was going away, and as they were staring toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to them. They said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go. I love this scene. It's almost comical. They have this weird, perhaps mystical experience of Jesus ascending into heaven, whatever that means. And as they're watching, two men in white robes appear next to them and say, why are you staring at the sky 
with your hands in your pockets. There's work to be done. Then they returned to Jerusalem, which Jesus earlier had instructed them to do. When they entered the city, they went to the upstairs room where they were staying, and all reunited in their devotion to prayer. Now, you may know that the book of Acts functions in the New Testament like part two of the Gospel of Luke. Christian tradition tells us that Acts was written by the same author as the Gospel of Luke and that he intended it to be a continuation of that story. Part one being the work of God through Jesus and part two being the work of God through the church. But if you read carefully, you'll see some differences at the end of the story that I think are very important for us to note today. These kinds of differences, by the way, between texts were not uncommon in the ancient world, and ancient writers, including the biblical writers, didn't seem too concerned with all of the details matching up perfectly. They weren't really setting out to write rigorous historical accounts, but instead to write theological documents based on these events that they had experienced. And so at the end of Luke, Jesus' resurrection, his appearance to the disciples, his empowering of them, and his ascension all take place rather quickly, about a day, it seems. But in Acts, chapter 1, verse 3 says that Jesus appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days, spending time with them, eating with them, and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. As one theologian put it, in Acts, there is a significant pause. And then, of course, after Jesus' ascension, they have to wait another 10 days for Pentecost, for this moment where God's Spirit comes to empower them for the work they were called to do. There is a lot of time and space in the beginning of Acts, and a lot of waiting. So we see this almost frustrating tension between working and waiting, between action and contemplation. They're told to stop staring at the sky and to get a move on with this work of building the kingdom, but not yet. I find a marvelous encouragement in this for our time. We are certainly not the first people to experience this tension between wanting to move forward but not knowing how, between desiring to get a move on but not being able to yet. And if you're like me, it's been easy these last couple months to find yourself grasping at straws for something to do. I can't tell you how many projects around the house I've created for myself just to not be bored. Almost seems like we're banging our heads against a wall out of frustration at having to just sit still. But it seems that while these disciples are called to a new and profound work in their midst, the timing is everything. Perhaps for us as well, timing is everything. Bill Gross, who is the founder of Idea Lab, you may have heard of them. They're a company that has spun off dozens of other startups, very successful businesses such as PetSmart and Picasa, which is owned by Google now, CarsDirect.com, many, many others. 
Well, he decided a while back that he wanted to research why certain companies that they started were successful and others were not. And so he looked at five categories within each of those businesses. He looked at their ideas, the team that they had, their business model, the funding they had, and the timing of their launch. And he meticulously combed through the history of dozens of startups and compared the successful ones to the not so successful ones. And he determined that while all five of these categories were important, the number one marker for success by far was the timing of their launch. A company might have the best idea, the best team, the most funding, but if its launch was timed improperly, it would flop. And he cites an example of his company creating an online streaming service a couple decades ago that had everything lined up. They had the newest fresh idea, they had the brilliant team of developers, plenty of funding and an airtight business model. But there were some complications because back then you had to download all of these complicated pieces of software to get it to work and the average consumer just couldn't wrap their heads around how to do it. So their idea flopped and it never went anywhere. A couple of years later, once the technology had evolved and was much more accessible, another startup came along without even a business plan. That company was YouTube. They came at just the right time and are now so successful that they're part of our daily lives. We're using them right now to stream worship. But for them, timing was everything. For the disciples in Acts, and I think for us as well, timing is everything. There will be much work to do out in the world, much service to give and ministry to offer, but perhaps not yet. And that's not to say, of course, that we can't find ways to serve right now in our waiting. We're doing that. So many of you, and as Deb mentioned earlier, uh, have donated food to help hungry families at Highland Elementary School. And we're continuing to deliver food, school supplies, and other things to them to help. We've heard stories of people sewing masks at home for those who need them, delivering food or medicine to those who are most vulnerable. There are certainly ways that we can help right now and serve our community together. But it also seems that rather than simply creating things to do because we feel anxious, perhaps we could see this as a time for what it is, as a significant pause and an opportunity to prepare ourselves for what might come next. That's exactly what the disciples do in this first chapter of Acts. They head straight back to Jerusalem, up to the house where they were staying, and they devote themselves to prayer. I wonder if we might consider the same during this time. I will say, though, that prayer has gotten a bit of a bad rap, especially over the last several years. Every time there's a crisis or a tragedy, we often see debates back and forth and angry exchanges over social media between those who offer thoughts and prayers and those who think it's better to be doing something active to serve those in need. Quite frankly, I think both perspectives miss the mark on what prayer actually is. Certainly there's an intercessory component 
where we might offer petitions to God and ask for God to help us, to bring a remedy to suffering and pain. But throughout the history of most religious traditions, Christianity especially, prayer has actually been seen primarily not as something that changes God, but that changes us. The early church fathers and mothers, the desert monastics, the mystics of the church have always understood that prayer is much more about opening ourselves to God to allow God to transform us so that we might then be empowered to go be the answer to the prayers ourselves. Contemplation and action, prayer and ministry, waiting and work, they all go hand in hand like two sides of the same coin. So maybe during this time, you could consider prayer not as simply offering words to God, but as receiving something from God to prepare yourself. Our job in that exchange is to put ourselves before God and to listen. If you need some ideas, here are a few, though you may come up with your own as well. Maybe you could simply enjoy the silence, as hard as it might be. There are some theologians who have said that silence is God's first language. Maybe you could take a walk in nature and fall in love with the world again. Find a story from the Bible that you haven't read in a while. Grab a cup of coffee or tea and imaginatively, slowly, and prayerfully read it. Pay attention to where God is right in front of you in the little things in your day. Offer gratitude for what you have instead of simply lamenting what you don't. Take a nap. My spirituality professor in seminary, Dr. Stephen Brocklow, used to tell us that sleep is the body's way of praying. And that in sleeping, we offer ourselves to God, fully trusting that God will take care of us when we are most vulnerable. Maybe you could practice that. Maybe you could just rest. That's also prayer. In other words, use this opportunity to prepare yourself, to grow, to allow God to transform you and prepare you for the new thing that will come next, even if we don't know when or what that will be. God is the true actor, after all. I think we see this as the earth begins to heal itself during our significant pause, as we rest from our frenzied attempts at self-importance. We have a part to play for sure, a vital and significant one, and there's certainly still work to be done now and many ways we can serve and love our neighbor. We can be immensely creative in how we serve during this time, as we already are. But sometimes, our job is also to wait and listen and discern. Like those disciples after Jesus' ascension, waiting for this gift of God's Spirit and to be led in the right direction. It really is all about timing and recognizing what this time might call for. As Psalm 1 puts it, the happy person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which bears fruit 
at just the right time. It may be that right now is not the time for bearing fruit, but for replanting ourselves by streams of water that give us life and wholeness and hope. The time for bearing fruit will come, so let's make sure we're ready when the time is right.